Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. What's up, y'all? It's Erica Cruz Guevara coming at you with an opportunity to help us shape the show. We've got a listener survey going and we want to hear from you. What do you think of the show and what do you want to hear more of? It takes literally just eight minutes of your time. So if you're waiting on the BART platform or, I don't know, waiting for your food at your local joint, go to kqed.org slash the Bay survey and help us make our show even better. Thanks. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara and welcome to the Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. It's really hard work being on the front lines of homelessness, poverty, or the Bay Area's mental health crisis. But that's what workers at the Felton Institute do every day. It's one of the oldest social service agencies in the Bay, and there are about 500 employees across seven counties. And some of them say the work is so hard, that they want to form a union. There is a lot of unilateral decision-making that gets made without consulting with the frontline workers who are directly working with our clients and in our communities. And when these policies are made, they affect our clients and they affect us. The campaign to unionize the Felton Institute has been going on for about three years. And things are at a standstill, with workers accusing management of retaliating against those trying to unionize. We're scared. I'm scared. I'm scared I'm going to lose my job. I'm scared that my clients are going to be left with no support. Today, the battle to unionize workers at the Felton Institute and what it means for all of us. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too 
at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. So I think all the workers I spoke to said that they really love their jobs. They love working with their clients and they see this as really important work. Holly J. McDeed is a reporter and producer for KQED. But the work they do is also extremely difficult because of issues like short staffing. The workers I talked to described uh, high turnover and just that it's been difficult to do do their jobs and they want to say in ways to improve their workplace. We as the frontline workers need more of a voice to our employer. Ava Cisnero, she is, her job title is an employment and education specialist. She works with Felton's early psychosis program in San Francisco. And when I spoke with her, she was also in grad school studying to be a therapist while working full time at Felton. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so she's got a lot going on. And her, her job is basically working with clients to help them reach their employment and educational goals. And connecting with other community-based organizations and universities and colleges and high schools, to let them know about our services as well. And she loves working at Felton. It gives me a lot of joy when they reach a milestone or they're working towards a goal. Both small things and big things, like getting full scholarships to universities, getting jobs. That really keeps me going, um, as well as my, my colleagues, my coworkers, who dedicate just as much, not more, time and energy into uh, providing services for our clients. Okay, so it sounds like she's one of those employees who believes that the work that she's doing is is really important. But what'd she tell you about how hard it could be to work at Felton? I mean, Ava said that since she's worked at Felton since 2020, turnover has been pretty high. On my team, um, I'm one of the people that have been there the longest. I've been through kind of basically like three cycles of teams. My clinic specifically has never been fully staffed as long as I've been there. And she's taken on a role that's kind of like being a case manager, but that's not her actual job title. I'm not trained to be a case manager. We need, our clients really need and deserve someone who is dedicated to that work. So she feels like it's just been really hard. And as someone who's trying to enter this field, she just feels like she's just come, entered like roadblock after roadblock and management isn't really listening. So what is exactly the rationale for unionizing? For Ava and other workers, I think a big piece of it is just wanting more of a voice. There is a lot of unilateral decision-making that gets made without consulting with the frontline workers who are directly working with our clients and in our communities. And when these policies are made, they affect our clients and they affect us. So being in a union would give them more bargaining power and it would be a way for them to have a direct say in their workplace. And I think because there are a very small number of workers who are in the union, like they've been able to win things like pay increases. So I I think some of the workers see just how being like one union, like maybe that could really make a difference as far as increasing pay across the board.
Okay, so, I mean, if you want to start a union, like, what do people like Ava have to do to convince other workers to join them? How does that work? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's been pretty difficult at Felton. So one of the first steps is to get a majority of workers to sign what are called authorization cards, which is basically a pledge to support the union in an election. And so the way they've been approaching trying to get support is doing what are called uh, home visits, which is essentially like visiting workers at their home, just trying to talk to them about like, what are some of the issues you see at the job? What do you think could be better? And here's what a union might be able to to do. So it's really just a matter of talking to people. But because this is an agency that's spread across so many different parts of the Bay Area, it's been really hard to get in touch with people. Well, how long has this effort to unionize at Felton been going on now? So the effort to unionize at Felton, it first began in 2019 when workers first started meeting with SEIU Local 1021 to talk about forming a union. So it's been going on for over three years now, when it first got started. Right now, 50 of Felton's 500 employees are already part of a union. Ava Cisneros and other Felton workers in San Francisco want to expand the union to include their colleagues across the Bay Area. But not everyone is on board. And some people, like Portia Fort, aren't convinced that being part of a union is worth the time and money. And so while I wasn't opposed to being in a union, there weren't any benefits of me joining this union. Portia Ford is a relatively new employee at Felton, and she works with teen moms um, to to support them, um, get them education about, about raising their kids, and she also likes her job a lot. She actually helped like get a few other workers to vote in an election to to leave the union because she was so frustrated by not being able to get answers. Whenever I tried to find like information, what was the name of our union, who was our union rep, no one wanted to give me that information. So for me to pay my money into there I don't think I would have gotten what I feel like I was paying into. I wouldn't receive my money's worth. I did talk to a few workers who are uh, pretty strongly against the idea of, of forming a union. And I think they've been somewhat kind of turned off by the way the campaign has been been going and feeling intimidated by the kind of door knocking. Some workers feel like they've been pressured to support the union. How has Felton, the nonprofit, responded to this effort by employees to unionize? So Felton CEO Al Gilbert Um, He has said that he supports his workers, whether they want to join a union or not. We've always been proud to have the union as part of our workforce here. What we do believe in is that we're 100 percent pro staff. So it's their decision. He said that turnover has been hard across the board in, in nonprofits. I mean, there isn't enough funding, money, resources historically in nonprofits to allow them to do the work they need to do. We deal with homelessness. We deal with mental illness. We deal with people on the streets. We, we deal with all of the biggest challenges that we're facing as a city. And yet we're paying our employees the least amount of money. And so we're given resources from the supervisors through the budget process. Um, and then it doesn't allow us to compensate people. But he also says that the turnover has not 
been as bad at, at Felton as maybe at other nonprofits. Felton has historically been a very competitive employer. Over the last five years, we've given our, our entire staff at least a 25% increase in wages. So from his perspective, Felton does offer competitive wages for workers, given the resources they have. Okay, so this effort has been going on for three years, and it sounds like the company and its workers are kind of in disagreement over the problems at Felton. But why has this been dragging on for so long? Well, I mean, from the perspective of the people organizing, it's because of the hostility from management. So Felton has signed an agreement to remain neutral about the the union organizing and um, not give a, a position on that. But uh, the workers who've been campaigning for the union say that Felton is not complying with that. But at the same time, there are currently nine unfair labor practice charges against Felton, saying that Felton has retaliated against workers um, in a number of different ways. I mean, some of the allegations involve Felton calling the police on workers who were demonstrating or discussing forming the union, a claim that Felton denies. They have called the cops on us. Um, They have threatened us. They have terminated people. They have put people on leave. Ava Cisneros says she was at a um, company picnic when the head of HR approached her while she was wearing a union shirt. And question about where I work and what I do and what my intentions were for being at this picnic. Um, also told me that I'm not allowed to wear my union shirt. Let her know that I'm an employee. I'm just here to have fun. I was invited um, and I am allowed to wear my union shirt. Ava says that Felton management started taking photographs of people wearing union shirts. So those are the claims that are coming from from the union supporters, that there's been hostility, retaliation. One worker was um, allegedly terminated for supporting the union. These are all claims that Felton has denied. What do you think this says about the hurdles that unionizing efforts face? Well, I talked to a few labor experts and they said the biggest hurdles to forming a union in the country is hostility from management in corporations as well as nonprofits. So union membership, I think we've been hearing a lot about campaigns in recent years, but it's very low in the United States. I mean, only 10 percent of workers are members of unions in this country. So I think what's happening at Felton as far as um, claims of retaliation and hostility from management, it seems like that is pretty true in general when workers attempt to form a union at their workplace. Like that's what they're going to come up against. Soon after the campaign began, there was an email sent out from management talking about money being taken away from workers to go to the union, an email sent out saying like the union needs you a lot more than you need the union. So when you get that kind of message from your employer, it's it's just a big hurdle to to work towards unionizing, like after the person who's paying you sends that message. And I know it's gotten to a point where people in power in San Francisco are getting involved. What have officials said about these allegations against Felton? 
Yeah. So, I mean, because Felton receives funds from the city of San Francisco, there was a Board of Supervisors committee hearing in October to address the unfair labor practice charges and to see if funds have been used to surpass the union. So again, my name is Sarah Richardson Baker. I am happy to be here today. I'm the director of communications at Felton Institute. Please accept this statement in lieu of a personal appearance at this informational hearing. Since 1997, and so during that that hearing, Supervisor Myrna Melgar was pretty frustrated by Felton because they declined to answer any questions from supervisors. And at this time, I will not be making any further comments, but I thank you so much for your time. Oh, just to be clear, um, are you not going to answer questions? Is, is that what you, that last statement was? Correct. That's correct, Supervisor. No uh, answering questions from us either, from any of the supervisors? Correct. That's correct. Well, that's disappointing because this is a hearing. So she was pretty frustrated um, by what workers were saying about retaliation and also by the lack of answers she was getting from Felton. I really hope you will understand and respect that. I understand that you think that it's in your best interest. Um, I would dispute that other folks don't think you have labor peace, and that's obvious from what we have heard here today. But thank you so much for coming and reading the statement. Thank you. Uh, Okay. She wrote a letter to the CEO earlier this month threatening to subpoena Felton if she doesn't get uh, records related to whether city funds had been used to surpass the, the union effort. Where do things stand now, Holly? They seem to me a, a little bit on hold. I mean, I, I think the workers are hoping that the National Labor Relations Board will, will side with them and and one of their complaints is about how Felton has not given contact information for workers, which if they had that information, it would be much easier um, for people who support the union to call their colleagues um, and talk to them about the union effort. So so I think they're hoping that a hearing in, in May um, could look good for, for the union effort and that it will be on their, on their side. Also, the workers who support the union, yeah, we're a little hesitant, I think, to talk about strategy going forward. But I I think they're just working on continuing to try to talk to their colleagues right now. But it's really a slow-moving fight. And I think the longer it takes, the harder it will get. I guess one other thing is that because turnover is high, that makes it hard as well. So you might get support from lots of workers, but if lots of workers are leaving, then that's hard to keep up. I mean, I think it's it's interesting that we're talking about a nonprofit here as opposed to like a big corporation like Starbucks or Amazon, where I feel like we heard a lot in the last two years about efforts to unionize, you know, at companies like that. Why do you think it's important to pay attention to what's happening at the Felton Institute here in the Bay Area? Yeah, I think it's important to pay attention to what's happening at the Felton Institute because I think it's one nonprofit among several that are trying to unionize in recent years. The Glide Foundation recently unionized, Compass Family Services recently unionized, and the issue they brought up is the same as what's happening at Felton. Low wages, high turnover, and above all else that those kind of 
difficult working conditions are hurting their clients and making it difficult to continue this work that nonprofits are really tasked with doing, which is supporting people who are, yeah, some of the most vulnerable people in, in San Francisco. They're on the front lines of addressing homelessness, addiction, um, all kinds of all kinds of issues. So those workers really need to be paid adequately to continue to to address some of our our biggest problems. Holly, thank you so much for your reporting and for sharing it with us on the show. As always, appreciate it. Thank you. That was Holly J. McDeed, a reporter and producer for KQED. This 30-minute conversation with Holly was cut down and edited by senior editor Alan Montecilio. Producer Maria Esquinka scored this one and added all the tape. The rest of the podcast team at KQED includes Jen Chien, our director of podcasts, Cesar Saldana, our podcast engagement producer, and Holly Kernan, our chief content officer. Another reminder to take our listener survey. Again, that's kqed.org slash the Bay Survey. Takes just eight minutes. We appreciate you for taking the time. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening. Peace. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.